and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. So this week is somebody I'm really excited about because she's written a book that has changed the way I look at food and drink. It's kind of opened it up. We talk in the podcast about the idea of a prism. Now, a prism is, is, is breaking up white light into all sorts of different colours and that's in a sense what her book has done for me. I now look at the time it takes to grow a product, uh, the right time to pick it. Is it fresh? How long a time has it been away from its source before it reaches me as an ingredient? How long does it take to cook it once it's gone through a transformation process? How long do we keep it for before we eat it? How long does it take on our tongue before we experience the full flavour of it? It's a multifaceted approach to food and drink and it's the result of a career of 26 years as a food writer. Now this particular individual started writing about food back when it really wasn't something that people did. You were either, you maybe you were a restaurant critic but people didn't necessarily write about food in a perhaps a more kind of philosophical discursive way and and so she, she started then. Now you know, everyone wants to be a food writer. It, it's one of those jobs that people go, oh, you're a food writer. That sounds incredible. And that's pretty much what I said to to the person I'm introducing this week. So let's get to who it is. Uh, so it's Jenny Linford. And uh, she's written a great book called The Missing Ingredient. Now, The Missing Ingredient is time. Um, the Missing Ingredient is published by Penguin. And it's it's just get hold of a copy. It's a really fascinating book. It's also a really, frankly, an easy read. It's 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 sort of split into um, various uh, uh, essay length pieces um, going from seconds all the way through to minutes, hours, weeks, months, years. Uh, and then it looks at food heritage as well. Um, so whether you're in food and drink or you've got a passing interest or in fact you've never even thought about it, I would read it. It is it's really brilliant and applicable to I mean every single person I've spoken to so far on this podcast will have mentioned time at some point because it's an integral part of what they do. Um, you know, how long does Tom Oliver leave his cider in the barrel before it's ready to bottle? Uh, how long does Andy Swinsco mature a Kirkham's Lancashire for before he thinks he decides it's ready for his public? How long does Hero Hirsch keep cheese in the cellar at Paxton and Whitfield? There's, it's everywhere, basically. It's everywhere. So listen, I'm really excited to introduce Jenny Linford to you. We met at Neil's Yard Dairy in Borough Markets. We tried some cheese. We had a bit of a wonder. Uh, we had a little look at what the Borough Cheese Company had to offer and 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 yeah it was a brilliant 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 time i I had chatting to that i really really enjoyed it and i hope you enjoy listening to cheers and we're in the surroundings of neil's yard dairy market which props up regularly in the pages well, yeah yeah right it's uh, it comes across i think cheese is mentioned i think it's i had a little bit that well i love a book but the beauty of the kindle is you can you know you can do little searches and of things course. like that it crops up about 230 times How the word cheese so i mean cheese and time you know <laughs> i mean time is used in everything in every food but you know it's very relevant to cheese i think absolutely am i um i mean one of the reasons news yard dairy crops up so much is i wanted to to try and make it clear to people the work that's done by cheesemongers as well as cheesemakers. Mm-hmm. So in fact I had to battle with my editors because I have two sections on cheese, the making of cheese and the maturing of cheese. And I wanted to make it clear that there is, you know, that, that is time being invested by two sets of people in a way. So you have your cheesemakers who obviously get a lot of time and trouble. But then equally, you know, a great cheesemonger like Nazar Dairy or La Fromagerie or, or Paxton Whitfield, they they are bringing on those cheeses to the right point. They will keep them in the right conditions. All that work is done behind scenes, as you full well know. But, you know, lots of ordinary customers don't understand that. So no. and I wanted them to sort of think, you know, this, there's been a lot of care and attention and time put into these cheeses. Mm. And that's why they taste great. But it's also why they cost money. Because, you know, this is not a quick, easy product that's been that's easy to care and just deliver sure no no absolutely and I think it's interesting contrasting the culture in this country food culture with with say France where you know the cheesemonger the affineur is is almost more lauded in fact than than the cheesemaker so there's almost a flip there and it, it would be 
I think that's wrong as well. I think there should be more parity between the two, but somewhere <laughs> well, in the middle of the you know, channel we, we'll we find it. We don't have know. the word, you know, they have the French mm. the word affinage, we don't have that word. No. Maybe she's maturing, which is not a word. No, know. quite. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, in yes, time, yes, I, yeah. I know that there are people yeah. working quite hard to create that sort of uh, yeah. aura, but also a kind of formal training and things like that. So it's, uh, it's happening, but, yeah. but slowly. But yes, yeah, so we're here at Neil's Yard. And we're going to chat to quickly just a guy, Will, who's going to who's here in the Neil's Yard apron and cap and white jacket. And we're going to try a little bit of cheese. Yes, yeah. So, so what have you got on the cutter just now? Uh, I've got some Montgomery's cheddar, which I'm just breaking down into working bits. Would you like to have a try? We'd love to. Yes, oh, please. please. That would be delicious. I visited um, Jamie in really? Summers for the book. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's fascinating. I mean, it's just this. It was cheddar heaven, basically, because yeah. you know, thank you. It's massive storeroom with stacks of cheese. So the smell is extraordinary, isn't it? You've always got that deep, kind of brothy, savoury, yeah. yeah. almost meaty. He's Mr. Umami, isn't mm. he? I think, mm. in his cheese. Mm. Um, I love in the book, he, he talks about, in terms of children. Mm. That was really, I love that. Yeah, because he's a, Jamie's a really, well, I mean, he's a real character of the mm. industry, for obvious reasons, he's been doing it for a long time, he's brilliant at what he Which does. Is, yeah. You know, he looks like a Somerset farm, he's a very yes. big man. And then there's that lovely, quite sort of... It was tender, wasn't it? Yeah, quite poetic yeah. description of what he you does. Describe you describe know? that, you know, because thanks to the thing, you know, because he changes the cultures on different days, so they have different, you know, effects and sort of in ways, styles more than with mm. And then he had that lovely phrase about this one being the quiet child that then suddenly blossoms and plays the clarinet. Yeah, right, exactly. And, um, but this cheese is great, isn't it? I mean, what a lot of flavour. It's got a real kind of almost sharp, sharp sweetness mm. that comes right through at the end as nice well, which is really nice and balancing. So it's not all kind of big bass notes. There's a real acidic yes. tang to it, which is, is yeah. probably partly why it works so well. It's fascinating, isn't it? When you think of those, uh, the Somerset, you know, slow food have got their presidium of the artisan Somerset cheddar makers. Westcombe, Keynes and Montgomery's. And then what's really interesting is on paper, they are all making cheddar the same way, you know, with their, you know, unpasteurized milk from their own cows, yeah. pot bound, matured, you know, for several months, traditional rennet, and yet their cheeses taste different. And that is just so well, interesting, isn't it? I was lucky enough a few months ago now to go to, it was a tasting, um, tasting event at the cheese bar mm. in Camden. Mm. But it was so Quicks and Montgomery's oh, yes. had collaborated on, so they they'd taken batches from their own, but matured it in the other person's cave. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was it was really profound the difference. Wow. So you had particularly the effect on the Quicks, I would say. So you had Quicks from one batch that was matured at Quicks, yep. and then a Quicks from the same batch that was matured at Montgomery's. And I was sitting on a table with some people who really know what they're talking about, yeah. and they were just sort of. Can we have the second quicks, please? Because we've got, we've, we've, you know, seriously, yes. you know, we've got a piece of quicks, we've got a piece yeah, of Montgomery's. Yeah. That kind of almost musky, that savoury thing that we were just oh. talking about was really. So that's there in the room. That's oh, not just that the cheese making. That is the. That's the environment. Exactly. Yeah, yes. I, thought, I thought that was yeah, fascinating. Yeah. That and, is fascinating. So the Montgomery's cheddar that being matured in quicks tasted more like a quicks cheddar, though. Uh, it had well, it had less of the kind of. Well, I guess almost cavey notes about yeah. less of that kind of musky, musty almost, but right. you know, on, on the good end of musty yeah. uh, uh, kind of flavour, and a little bit more sweetness. I would say that oh. the effect the other way around was more profound to me, yes. but that wasn't necessarily yeah. the opinion of and everybody. Yeah, it was a really interesting experiment. Um, I, don't, I mean, I speaking to Mary and, and Jamie afterwards. I don't. I think it was for interest. I don't yeah. know how it would yeah. further their no. knowledge, but it was a really... Fascinating to know that, isn't Absolutely. It? And one of the other cheeses that uh, is, is one of my personal favourites that, that would be great if we could have a trial of is, is the Kirkham's Lancashire. Of, of the young, so how, how, what sort of maturity is the, is the young? Which is about uh, six months old. That's about six months, okay. It'd be great to try both. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. So, thank you so much. So this is Kirkham Lancashire. So I interviewed yeah. Graham, who is... You know, a fascinating mm. cheese. You know what he's doing. Thank you. Will. He's preserving a tradition that is that farmhouse Lancashire tradition. I mean, he's like a sort of a rare, a rare breed. Mm-hmm. Um, so committed. I mean, you, every time you talk to him, very hard to get hold of. So you can imagine. Wow. So, yeah. mm. Of course, because he's busy with his livestock and his cheese making. Well, he's a, he's yeah. that he's that ultimate, isn't he? He's yeah. farmer cheesemaker yes. rather They're than buying people. his milk. And, yeah, oh, gosh, gotcha. yeah. I was really lucky enough. I did a couple of days working up with Andy Swinscoe up at the oh, courtyard, yeah. which was brilliant. What a great shop! Great yeah. shop, yeah. Uh, you, have you been to the new? I've not been to the new no, one at the, Kestrel, the old yeah. Kestrel Centre. Mm. Um, but I spent Sounds a day good. making yeah. cheese with with uh, with Graham, 
and, and it really, everything in your book kind of, it was really chimed with my experience of him as well, the way he approaches it, his kind of attention to detail, but again, and actually we mentioned this before we switched the microphones on, the yeah. ease, yes. apparent ease and kind of almost, not, not kind of, he wasn't relaxed as such, but he'd done it so many so, times, yes, he knew what he was doing. It? I mean, it's like yeah. thing, you know, if you think about anything, when we learn anything, it takes time. I mean, it's mm. not a fascinating thing, and learning to cook, learning to make food, the skill with which you do something, um, you know, is, is acquired, you know, through, through repetition, through doing yeah. it over and over again, through that investment of time. So just in trying the, the length after the cheddar, because of course it's a much milder, simpler cheese, you know. Um, so that's quite, I'm getting quite salty, I think. Uh, but it's got that got lovely, lovely crumbly Yeah, the texture of course yeah, is so magical. profound. Yeah. I think you say, although it's a, technically a hard cheese, you can, you can yes, crumble it between great. finger and thumb. Yeah. Um, and now, so we're going to try the mature, which you said earlier was a year, is that right? Uh, roughly a year. Yeah, okay. So this is something at Neil's Yard Dairy are doing, such a great initiative, where they are maturing the cheese. Thank you. Um, this is what you see up all in the shelves here. Oh, brilliant. How lovely. lovely. So when do you pick those up from Graham? What sort of age? Um, I'm, I'm not actually entirely sure of the age. I, I can get Phil in here, because Phil is sort of our resident uh, Lancashire maturer, if you want to have a quick chat wow. with uh, well, if, yeah. if Phil doesn't mind popping over to talk to us about Lancashire, that would be superb. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're sort of beautiful pale blonde colour, aren't they? Well, um, if you ever have the chance to, to put the clarified... Did you get to put the clarified butter on the... No. It is one be. of the... It's a very sensual experience. Mm, <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. I'm like, yeah. So this is really mm. interesting. So I love the fact that... This goes to what I was saying about, you know, what good cheesemongers do. The creativity that they have. And because Neil's Yard Dairy have their maturing rooms. Mm which again I visited for the book and spent um, you know, a lot of time in. It's really funny because my editor's like, there's a lot of cheese in the book. I'm like, yes, because cheese is an mm. amazing subject and totally relevant for the time. Yeah. You know? um, and so this is such an interesting experiment to, then, to you know, normally it would be sold, I think, two, three months, I think is a normal time for a lecture. And this is so much older. And it has just stood the test of time really beautifully, hasn't it? Mm. It's kept its structure. Well, it's, yeah, absolutely. And that's testament to how it's cared for. I yeah. think, you know, the make is obviously vital in that, but if you don't have somebody, you know, turning it, yeah. rushing it, just keep keeping an eye on it as though it's your own livestock. I mean, that's how I always thought of it. Yeah. It's very slow-moving livestock in that it does yeah, change it does daily. Change. Like um, when I came across when I talked to, um, to the person in charge there, I mean, just her affection for the cheeses and the sense of, you know, she had a relationship with them. Absolutely. Just like that, you know, because every morning she's brushing them, turning them, holding some back in cooler temperatures because they come on too fast, or bringing some on, all these little tweaks that a good cheesemonger will do. Because often a lot of the mature is the younger, cheap, the soft cheeses, you know, which share results more quickly. Yes, if those I think are there being looked after, you know, the washed dried cheeses, the yeah. sorts, they've been taken on so it's a matter of weeks so you have quite an intense relationship with them. well I think as well it's a really good place you, yes uh, yeah that's really interesting actually because you do develop uh, yes it's much more intense because you you can you feel you can influence the outcome yes. of that cheese much yeah. more profoundly yeah. and the results are obvious oh hello yeah. hello <laughs> hi there Thank you. so this is our resident uh, Kirkland's Lancashire expert uh, what you're an expert no more than most people it's the classic it's modesty the maturing, of the cheesemonger yeah. right there that's good. <laughs> I, I like that. um, so so tell me a little bit about um so i'm fascinated by i guess that the, the process of of when you guys go and select the cheeses yeah. first of all what you're looking for and, and why you're looking for those certain elements uh, how they affect the maturing process if you see what i mean okay um no worries well when going selecting it's it's having your making sure cheese isn't undersalted as well because down the line when you're maturing that can just affect everything that goes along uh you're looking for the right texture as well you're looking for that uh like a little bit of crumbliness you're not gonna be able to tell it too young sometimes but you kind of got to know how the the curd is going to go um, but then when it's down to once it's here and selected uh uh, what would you like to know about that? Sorry. Well, I guess just what what you're keeping an eye out for, because we just just before you arrived, we were talking about the effect a, a cheesemonger, a maturer, can have on on a soft cheese. It's kind of more immediately obvious and profound. Yeah, yeah it's quicker process, isn't it? By its nature. I was interested when you pick the Lancashire's for maturing. Do you pick certain Lancashire's for maturing for this amount of time? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bronwyn and David. Yeah. Uh, would do, usually go over and. 
they're the biggest selectors of it because yeah. I'm quite new to maturing as well mm -hmm. even though I've done it for just about a year and a half now okay. as well uh, they they'll do a lot of the selecting for me I'm still learning from sure. them quite yeah, yeah. a bit so I yeah. know my basics around it but yeah. they know kind of like the little finesse bits and you're maturing well. them in the shop rather than in the maturing rooms. Um, is that correct? Or yes. Some, or, yeah. yeah. And why was that? Um, I believe when there was an experiment done yeah. earlier on to where it was matured in the arches and matured here, mm -hmm. and the results fared better here. Yeah. And I believe it's to do with uh, temperature and humidity yeah. fluctuation, sure. where Lancashire's would have been matured in a barn at some point as well with fluctuating temperatures yeah, yeah. so perhaps the the shop is close to being like a lancashire barn more than anything else nice it's so a it's a quite well apparently quite a rudimentary um place kirkham's lancashire yeah. in many ways i mean the old the, the presses are the old yeah. you know cast iron presses and uh, when i went along i think in a way the kind of thing that sums up the the, the sort of it, graham in many ways was was the breakfast that we had uh, we had golden grains mm -hmm. and, and with whole warm milk. How interesting! It was it yeah. was gorgeous, yeah, but like yeah. it's kind of I yeah, don't know, it's sort of like worth, unpretentious, but yes. also we've yeah. also got to have some pretty amazing dairy yeah. in here as well. That, that's a beautiful. You're absolutely right. When you talk, he's always very funny and down to earth, mm. and he talks about his you know the reason I'm doing all this faffing about it. He said to me, <laughs> it's just like you know, but he's this amazing skilled cheese maker, but he's not gonna, ever going to big it up, which is also the mm. modesty of the cheesemaker too, isn't it? And how do you find your customers react to the two having the two ages of Lancashire in the shop? Um, it's definitely an up point. It shows a lot of interest. What a bit of time and a bit of care can do for a cheese. Mm. It's like even down to talk about soft cheeses as well with washing a cheese having yes. the comparison between a non-washed yeah, cheese yeah. and a washed cheese and all of a sudden people are a little bit shocked by just the introduction of either a little bit of salt water yeah. or just just general time can do to a cheese as well because yes. where we go from three months old just up here and once a week they get turned rubbed down to kind of spread the butter a little bit thinner around the outside of it and move down along the line and then all of a sudden about 10 months to 12 months later on the other side of the shop at the end of the they're ready to go and we can pick them off fantastic and start cutting them and keep them going there and it's i think it shows shows a little bit of dedication to it it certainly as does well. yeah, absolutely it does yeah yeah it's one of the things i've written a book called the missing ingredient that was one of the things i wrote about was the role of the cheesemonger because lots of customers don't quite understand you know how much work someone like Niels Yardari are doing behind the scenes because it is behind the scenes yes yeah. so in fact you're actually right have been able to show a customer the tangible evidence of what you're doing it's a really clever way and given that you always do tastings as part of your Niels Yardari culture it's our tastings but it's like you said as well that people don't realize when we speak about them go oh no and then we have our maturing arches yes. down in Bermondsey and all of a sudden people go you have the maturing arches yeah, down yeah. in Bermondsey and just then it opens a nice dialogue yes. to be able to talk about the cheese as well sure. and then be able to talk about the cheese makers as well and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. I mean, so interesting. I think it seems to be something that Niels Yardere are doing more, playing with the, with the you know, that's the impression I get. I see things where you seem to be taking cheeses and experimenting with aging them or washing them or, yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of taking taking away that we've done everything we can do let's not carry up let's not carry on what you're doing if you're constantly playing a little bit with cheese here and there you get a different cheese if somebody didn't wash a cheese we wouldn't have beautiful washed rind cheeses <laughs> Very true. If someone didn't play around at some point or spill something on something we wouldn't know what had happened where I mean that's the fantastic thing about cheese isn't it which you know it just is they change you know I mean it's you know when they're allowed to and, and that is I think that's the fast, you know, cheese is one of those subjects that fast, you know, we're three people here all fascinated by cheese. And it's, and every cheese maker I've talked to has been fascinated. It sort of casts a spell over people. Yeah. And it's because it's sort you know, it's a, it's a living, changing thing that you have a relationship with. It's, I think it's the apparent simplicity of it as well. I mean, you again, you mentioned in the book about, you know, it's only, essentially it's milk, you know, and then with, with a, you know, a couple of other ingredients and salt, <laughs> and salt yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But then it's how you, tweak the variables as they go along and we've got I mean how many varieties of cheese would you say you have in in the store in the shop we have about variety wise uh, we have 40 different cheeses variety wise 
I'd say maybe around about 15 or 16 perhaps, maybe even more than that as well when you take down to the even the small pieces of how they do it. So when if you've got a sheep's cheese that's cloth, cloth bound and then you've got one that's a natural, natural rind as well and then a hard cheese that's also washed as well like an oval shield down the line and the soft cheese that's not washed and one that is washed as well so maybe even more than that as well. I think it's difficult because I think everyone has their variety or everyone has that cheese that comes from a specific place. We all know cheese, cur some milk curdled in some sort of way as every culture's had it. You, yeah, it's just, sure. That's where it is. Listen, we're going to pop outside, yeah. I think, away, because you can hear the fans buzzing away in, in the yeah. background. That's I'm going to let you fans. get back to because those Brilliant. Kirkhams won't look after themselves. So much. No Thanks for your time. Well. Thank you Thank very you. much for your time. Right, let's, let's right. wander outside okay. for a little bit into the sunshine. So let's talk a little bit about, about the book, because I feel obviously we're here to talk about cheese, but we are also really here to talk about, about your book. Um, there's no sort of secret from the get-go that the missing ingredient, there's not a grand reveal at the end what the missing ingredient is. It's, it is time, it's this eureka moment you have very, very early in the morning and it just seemed to get its claws into you. It did, because it took ages to get the book commissioned and published. Right. And when I had this sort of, you know, it was a bit like an epiphany, I'm like, but time is an ingredient. And of course, initially I thought of it as someone who cooks. I thought, oh, you know, I use it when I cook, you know, I use that amount of time. But then, then I thought, more deeply about it. I thought, of course time is also used in the making of food, and of course time is used in the growing of food, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and I, you know, and I, what I did not want it want to be, I did not want the book to be dull, because I thought it was a really interesting idea. And it's like, well, how do you write it? Actually quite a hard book to come up with the structure mm. for. And I came up with the structure to go from seconds to years, and then have different essays on different aspects of food and time. Because actually it's very complex. The more you think about it, the more you realise how much unpicking has to be done yeah. and how much overlapping there is. And so my analogy when I pitched to the publisher was like, you know, these essays are like prisms when they're facing one aspect of food and time and the book overall is like a kaleidoscope. So then you will get a pattern. I think you do emerge when you've read the book. I think you have a sense of time, how much it touches on food in so many different ways. I found the thing that really grabbed me was... was and actually, it's something you mentioned quite early on. Is is it? It was the peach tree. Yes. It, the apricot tree. At the the apricot tree. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And uh, is the is the multi-layered element. Yes. So, I don't know. Let's say you're cooking a risotto. Yeah. In terms of time, there, it's not just the time that you spend cooking the risotto. Yeah. It's the time that that you know that, well, that the cheese has been yes, matured and, for and, and made over. And if you made, made a, over if you went to to make your stock, you know, which is a time-consuming yeah. thing. And then, and of course, to make a stock takes time because mm -hmm. you have to do this gentle process of mm -hmm. taking out that flavour from the bones into the water. And and yeah, so many, you know, in the time and then the you know, the harvesting of the rice and you start thinking about things like, you know, ripeness, which is a, you know, which is time and freshness is time. Yes. And yes, that yes. was it with the that's right, with the apricot, the, the sort of the differentiation between ripeness and freshness. Yes. That actually you can't you can get a nice fresh apricot, but it could be rock hard off the tree yeah, and it's too yeah. early. It's 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 that kind of intersection where those two yeah. timelines meet and that's yeah. perfection. Perf yeah, and it was perfection. Yeah, I still yeah. remember it. I've never had I love those things, things that you yeah. just they, that's it, that's yeah. your mo that's your food moment, yes. your genesis. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, so I thought it was yeah, I think that's a really interesting uh, analogy is the kaleidoscope because it is you're seeing all these different elements all at once yeah. by the time you get to the end because, of you know, the book. If you think of something like meat, which is quite a good way mm. of trying to typify that. So you play steak, cooking steak. So I, when I went and talked to the people I talked to, producers, uh, chefs, growers, other food writers, I didn't tell them I was writing a book about time and food because I didn't, I, want, I wanted to see what time, you know, how they use the time without telling them. So there was a no self-consciousness. It was a natural reveal. Mm. You know, and I talked to Richard Turner, who's a fantastic chef of Hawksmoor, a bit founded Hawksmoor, mm. about how to cook steak. And he goes, well, he starts with the cattle, you know, and, that, and he goes with the breed of cattle. Yeah. And it's like, and it's native breeds that will have that put on weight more slowly, you know, so therefore we're less commercial than a continental breed that's going to, um, you know, get massively put on a lot of weight very quickly but you, you know time is often flavour it's quite fascinating mm. in meat it really is and uh, that slow growing of an animal that's a theme across all the livestock producers I, I talk to yeah. and then so that's so you have time there the cattle then you talked about hanging meat which of course I had already talked about with the butcher as when, then it gets you know then to the cooking so, so all that you know those all those times but that, it's all there in that, that mouthful without yeah. without one element of that time those different timelines yeah. you, you lose all that complexity and well, I think I, I liked it when I talked to the butcher Danny Lidgate of Lidgate's mm. about mm. steak and he said you know and he explained how much went into creating a steak and he talked about you know 
the, the livestock grass-fed, you know, that the, the pasture's got to work for that cattle, so we like to put on the weight to get the lovely, you know, intramuscular fat, and then the hanging. I mean, he sort of said this wonderful line, you know, when you get a perfect steak, all the stars have lined up. You know, it was yes. such a brilliant way. And yes. for him, he really got it. You yeah, know? yeah, how interesting. Like, so it wasn't just sort of, it's, it's not, and he's a butcher, you know, he must handle more good steak than I'll ever see in my lifetime. And yet for him, it was still special. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. Well, I think yeah. that's important. Let's, let's walk yeah. into, so we're actually... We're at Borough Market, um, after you, Jenny. You. We're going to negotiate the skipping rope again, <laughs> which is easier said than done. I should have given us a bit more uh, slack, I think. Anyway, it's all fine. So we're going to go on a little search for some cheese at Borough Market. And, and actually, when I first got here, everything was just kind of waking up. I, I actually I got here at about half past nine to have oh, a little wander around yeah, and you know, take yeah, it all in. But, but it was pretty quiet. Things are kind of, you know, hotting up people with cameras and... You know, that it's, a, it's sort of a food mecca, but it's also a real tourist attraction these days well, as well, Borough I mean, Market. Well, the thing fascinating about Borough, you know, which is now, as you say, a very popular visitor attraction, mm. but really it's played such a seminal part in, in... And I used to write a newsletter for it years ago, several years ago. In fact, Randolph Hodgson from the Dairy asked me to write the newsletter for the producers because this market was such an important showcase for, for food producers, a lot of them British, not all of them, and importers. But it was just... A, it's just played such a massive part, I think, in creating, you know, what we the food culture that we now have yes. in Britain. It really has been similar. Which is not something that, that's always been associated with the UK. And it, it, it You know, it, it's been quite... Yeah. So where, where so the cheese is t- tends to be sort of around that yeah, way, doesn't that way, yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's strolling, it's diving. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, know, you know, I've been writing about food for over 25 years, yes. so I've seen that transformation. Right. Um, and really, when I started work as a food writer... It was a little back. I mean, the idea of being interested in food was actually just basically very odd then. And literally, I'm a food writer, and no one could understand what that might mean. So when I met people who said I was a food writer, they were like, oh, uh, what you restaurant doing? And I'm like, you're a critic. I'm like, no, no, I'm an enthusiast. And they're like, what yeah. do you do? You're a restaurant, you're a food. And I was like, that's all they could think of. So that takes a leap of imagination that you could imagine that there would be. I don't know, a career there, that's, that's quite yeah, a. Were like, you thinking of it in those terms, though, well, or was, were you just yes, passionate? Fallen, well, I did an English and politics degree and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then started working in bookshops, I always loved books and words. And then really realised, started doing freelance journalism, what I loved, what I wanted to do was write. And my first, I was, the reason my food writing came back is I'd started writing for The Guardian, sort of thought pieces on like social attitudes to you in comics and um, based on, you know, from my politics background. Right. But I wrote a piece about social attitudes in cookbooks for The Guardian and the food and drink editor liked it. It hadn't been commissioned by him. The women's page editor commissioned it, and then, but he wrote to me. I think it was in those days, <laughs> pre-email, and he said, you know, come and meet me. And then he met me, and then he was like, and he discovered I'd lived abroad lots of child. My mm-hmm. mother's from Singapore. I lived there, lived in Italy, and he was like, oh, you know, why don't you write a piece for me about incredibly hot, amazing pepper sauce being made in a flat in the East End by a lady from Trinidad? And I, it was like, wow, food writing. So it was very yeah. naive of me to then think. I'd be a food writer, but that was my thought. I was like, I love food, I love writing. Put so the two together. It. And I had an idea for a book, Food Lovers London. So when right, that was yes, commissioned, yes. I was like, yes, I'm going to be a food writer. And all the yeah. on the journalism, everyone was like, what? And all, my, all the professors were like, just looking at me like, you're mad. So yeah. there was no sort of, you know, you guys just wait and see. In, in 20 years' time, <laughs> London will be at the epicentre of it's cuisine. Very it's very unlikely then. I mean, yeah. really, it was so, it's just, you can't imagine how different it was mm, then. Mm. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. But it's been fascinating to witness that transformation. You know, and I know, I know shops like Museo Dairy, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of Museo Dairy because they've done so much to save the farmhouse tradition mm. in Britain. Mm. You know, lots of things are under threat. And it's still tough, you know, life for food producers is tough. And there's so many challenges, mm. you know, for, for farmers. But I mean, what, what is wonderful is to, to, you know, now food writes very fashionable. So when I meet young people and say, I'm a food writer, like, Oh, that's my dream job. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do a cookbook. I'd like to be a food influencer. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, so it's really hard work and really badly paid, yeah. but I love what I do. Yeah, that, yeah. that sums it all up, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I think you've got to want yeah. to meet people. I think that's what I love about doing these is that, you know, these are not monetized in any way at all, but it's but a great way though. to meet interesting people yes. and, and share a passion. That's the best and bit about my job. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to put the food producers in the book, because I wanted their voices in the book. You know, yes. so everything was recorded and I transcribed it forever. So, so have, you got a, have you got a whole uh, cache of, of audio recordings yes. of these people? Yeah, I probably have, actually. Wow. Yeah, hopefully saved. Um, you should get them edited yes. and get them yes, out there on uh, yes, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I should do, actually. I mean, it would, I honestly, thought, I would such, listen. Such a, I would oh, listen. Oh, sorry, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I should do. Because it's a... Uh, oh, 
interesting. Bit of Comte, let's try some Comte. I'm sure this gentleman will help us. This is Barbara Cheese Company. company. Yeah, yeah. you were. Yeah, so these guys specialise in what, maybe four or five different cheeses? And well, when I first met them, they just did the cocktail. It was very funny because I was writing for the um, magazine. This is Jason, right? Jason Hines? Is yes, Jason he's a, and it's Dom, I can't remember his surname, but I know Dom mm. is still on the store. But literally, Dom would give out little tasters. And people would just take a bit quite politely. And then they, and as Dom said, it was like elastic because they put it in their mouth. <laughs> and then yeah. they come back because it's such a nice cheese yeah. to eat. And it's so sweet and salty. And, well, back to time is that beautiful development yes. of, in, in the section on chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. as it melts on you yeah. Yeah. yeah which is actually very interesting isn't it that actually basically good food has you know it lingers in your mouth doesn't it and you have a depth of flavour mm. hello Hi. there <laughs> what, what, how old is your is this, is this the 15 months yeah it's 15 months so we just have the one batch lovely thank you is it Christmas time that you get the older yes that's in? right yeah. 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 So, so it's got that amazing kind of slightly pace to it uh, yeah nice. yeah yeah. Oh. So super creamy, but rich as well. I mean, it's got like oh, a nice, beautiful. obviously always has a nice nutty taste of the comate. Mm. Um, this one's slightly kind of vegetal, I think, in the, in the finish, but mm. it's really nice. Yeah. I'm waiting to get to the finish, not that there. And actually, because it's warm, it's really full of flavour, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you're getting come, like everything come, at come once. Come lunchtime, the samples are going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be perfect. <laughs> it's still a bit cool, really, for something. Mm. Yeah. It's such a lovely cheese, isn't it? Gorgeous. I mean, I love the. It's sort of living on in our mouths. Well, we used to sell, back when I was, back when I was cheesemongering. Yeah. We used to sell a, a an eighteen month, twenty four, and then we, when they had it, we had like a thirty two month, which was, I mean, that's quite a uh-huh. big flavour actually oh, yes. for fifteen months. I, I mean, yes, it's, it's quite flavors, interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say that um, the kind of taste of Comte is on like a bell curve, so somewhere in the middle is the best. Is, has the kind of greatest depth of flavour. And as it then dries out, you lose the kind oh, yes. of depth of flavour and it gets replaced by that kind of sharpness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, people, I think, enjoy it. I, I would argue that the 32-month, there was an element of um, maybe a bit of elitism because yeah, it's yeah, such quite. a kind of premium yes. product because it's yeah, old. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know. This comes up over and over again with cheese. It's one of the, you know, the Yeah. Exactly. I think people give yeah. virtue to the idea of age, don't they? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, yes, in, exactly. and yeah. it's, you know, therefore some things, you know, and all that. Yeah, that's middle age woman. I know. Yeah, you but, but you know, but it's no. It's absolutely, people think you know, oh, the older Parmesan were better than the younger yeah. Parmesan. And it was really interesting when I, I took, I've written a book about time and food, and I interviewed lots of food producers, including right. Elliot from the Ham and Cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was just saying, look, you know, old in this sort of veneration of old Parmesan is really misplaced. Yes, because yeah. because it just dries out, you know, all you want is the sweetness. I mean that's got that lovely, delicious sweetness. You can tell it's yeah. dairy. Well you can still taste the quality that's, of the milk. You hear yeah. like yeah, cheesemongers talk about that a yes, lot, is that yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's delicious. And what else have we got here? We've got some uh, farmhouse what is this wild gouda. Oh, Vilda it's a it's a Dutch farmhouse cheese, so um, it's, it's it's a Gouda style cheese, uh-huh. but it's made with raw milk like the Comte in the top. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's a new cheese actually, yeah, made I by Vermoos, which is the company that do our like Gouda. Right. Um, but this one, yeah, is it's a single herd that are producing the, the milk for it. Yeah. Um, basically, a couple uh, went to the French Comte and kind of fell in love with the region. Uh huh. Um, and they're cheese makers anyway. Yeah, and they decided yeah. to buy a herd of Montpellier cows and take oh, them back to Holland. So Montpellier, what, what, so why do cheese makers like the milk from Montpellier? Is it is it rich? I mean, is it? I think presumably yes, it produces yeah. like a sweet, rich milk. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's what they've got up at Fen Farm. Yes, the, 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 yeah, yeah, the Baron. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he specifically he's imported Montpelliards yeah. for their. Sure, I mean, they've been bred for for you know the right sort of fat levels, yeah. the right protein structure, all of that. I mean, I think it's probably you know centuries of. of you know, yeah. husbandry and yes. knowledge yeah, exactly. and it's gone into it. How, can I ask how old, how old this is then? So this is 16 months old, it's not months, particularly old actually. Right. Yeah. But um, Gouda's obviously in the show and it's like higher temperature than the Comte, so it is a bit sharper. Um, you see the, oh yeah, the it's got a little zing, yeah, you can see the crystals, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that lovely caramel kind of mm. sweetness coming it through. It reminds me of the Coulee that they have at Neil's Yard Dairy, mm. you know, that which is yeah, the Gouda yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a caramelly, yeah, which is very nice too, isn't it? Good Terrific. Thank you. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep circulating. Thank you, so much. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Cheers. So Parmesan, we're on the question. Yeah, we were well, yeah, we got sidelined by uh, other delicious <laughs> other delicious cheeses. That's a drop. That's what cut back in. Yeah, let's time. just wander around. Tell yeah. me tell me a little bit more about then the the 
because I'm interested as well in, in not just the content but the process of writing a book like that. Uh-huh. I mean, it, what, what's sort of the time frame for? Because it is when you read it, it, it is. I mean, I like it. For me, it works well for me because it's yeah. it is it's got that essay. Yes. So I. I it's quite you know, short little pieces. It's it? short so little it's quite, pieces. Yeah. It's very yeah. uh, meditative to, to, to read, but also the way in which you're talking about time is. We talked a little bit about mindfulness, which you hear about in terms of you know people have mindfulness apps on their phone, which seems yeah. to be a bit of a contradiction in terms. <laughs> but it, it's that focusing in on, on the, the sort of the multifaceted but but single element of time. Yeah. And I wonder what the experience of writing the book was like because of that. Did you...? Well, yes, it was interesting because I think, you know, a lot of thinking went into that book. So, in fact, as I said, I said it took, you know, I had the idea quite a few years ago, perhaps six years ago. I can't quite remember how long. And and then I spent a lot of time thinking about it and thinking what I would put in and what would make interesting content because that was my... I didn't want it to be a dull book. I wanted it to be um, a book that was engaging. Because I sort of thought, well, you know, this can't be a book that just says you cook an egg for two minutes, you cook a steak for two minutes. No. That's very boring. And so um, that's what cookbooks do all the time. Yeah. So I need to do something different. So, and then the more I, so a lot of things, so basically when I, um, so the structure, so I had my structure planned in context and I didn't really change it to, once I'd done that, which took a lot of time, that's what I sold. And then that's what I, then I had, you know, this is what I have to do. And I had to do a lot. I mean, it was like a production job. It was massive. And of course, actually with books, you very rarely get a lot of time. I mean, I was given a year, and that's actually quite unusual in publishing now because often I've had to write books in months. It's crazy. You know, yeah. just go, book, and, it's, and you need work because yeah. you're freelancing. You're like, okay, I've only got X. And it's literally like, you know, my friends don't see me for months. Like, right. I get into a, I call it a book tunnel. I literally okay. disappear. Jenny's my writing her book, don't yeah. expect to it's see like, her kind of thing. And it's just my head, even if I'm physically around, my head is sort of in that book space and mm. I'm thinking about it. So this was very complex because I was. You know, accumulating the experiences, recording them, didn't necessarily have the time to then write it up then and there because I was also then trying to get the next experience. And so lots of logistics and the trains overhead. This is all good sound effects. It's all yeah. it's all ambient. This is pretty. It's great. This is London reality. Yes, exactly. Of course, you know this market was you know bringing transport, take, getting things to your market. And here you've got yeah, the train I mean. Station. I chatted to uh, Rosie Morgan, the Bristol cheesemonger, uh, a few weeks ago. So, oh. there's, um, and, and she, she's a she's a really good cheesemonger. Oh, but yes, here we are. Oh, but part of what she does is she goes and collects everything. So she drives around all the farms in the West Country and picks wow. everything up. So that's quite that's an, an investment of time. Isn't it, it is. It is. Yes. But I think it gives her a unique control. Hi. So here we are. Hello there. How are we doing? So we've just come to try some of your 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 Parmesan. Parmigiano. So, so this this is aged for 24 months here. Thank you. So already it's got that that beautiful kind of crumbling, almost minerally texture to it. Yeah. And it's got that sweetness. Like mm. Mm. Quite a gentle Parmesan. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, so we're talking, so Jenny's written a book about time, but in the context of food, so the missing ingredient. Um, and so I'm Parmesan is obviously about time, because you age it for so long, don't you? Yes. And the different ages, the different stages. So why do you choose 24 months for your Parmesan? Do you think that's a good, a good period for the cheese? I mean, honestly, it's not my shop, right. so it's my... But you think employer chooses the, the, yeah. the, the, the cheese we use. Uh, she also used to serve the 36 months. Uh huh. But it's a cheese that you can find always the time. So yeah. It's a period that you can always. But it's always consistent. Kind of cheese, yeah. Right, right, right. So yeah. you talk about in the book about finding that balance between the guys who import it. Uh, Ham and cheese. Ham and cheese. Yeah. About uh, finding a, a cheese that you can cook with, but that yes. you can also eat as a table, table cheese. cheese. I mean, I think yeah. that's often one of the mistakes that people make with Parmesan is, is that is they just grate it and it's <laughs> yes. gone. Actually, yeah, yeah. you can eat in a different way. Sure. Of yeah. course, for the people that are not Italian, yeah. as you said now, you, know, you think just to yes, get on top do. of yeah. the pasta or risotto sure. or something else. But for example, there is another uh, dish that we made in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's a starter. You can do like the bresaola. Uh-huh. 
it's charcuterie. It's yeah. beef, the only one is made with the beef meat. Yeah. You put a slice, some slice of brezaula mm -hmm. with a rocket salad mm -hmm. and some chunk the parmesan like that. Just uh, chunks, top. yeah. And you can put also some drops of balsamic vinegar. Uh -huh. it's, yeah. Way Sounds good. Yeah, beautiful. It's pretty classically yeah, Italian, yeah. simple, but with yeah. the best ingredients. Yes, it's, 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 it's it sums it up. it up. Yes, that's true. I mean, the thing is, it does have this remarkable flavour, Parmesan, doesn't it? And it's that texture. It's such a beautiful. We're looking at it. It looks like little mountains. Every. So this is gorgeous. This so this yeah. is a cheesemonger's nightmare. <laughs> so it's been yes. cracked. It looks yeah. very beautiful, yeah. and you can chip great big chunks off it. But keeping it's it in good condition out, is a nightmare because yeah, yeah. you've got yeah, it dries, yeah. and then if you're unlucky as well, you, you get this little the mold starts to develop. If you don't, if you're not selling it quick yeah. enough, I imagine right. you sell it pretty quickly here, so yeah. it's not an issue for you. Yeah. But um, but yeah, you'll you'll often see it just you know. But look wired. at the size of the whole parmesan. Yeah. I mean that is magnificent. Yeah. I mean, wrestling that yes. down down a spiral staircase into the cellars at Buchanan's <laughs> was always fun. That and the Comte when they turned so, up, that was a I good mean, the interesting thing about thank the... You. Thank you so much. The thank you. The, I mean, the thing is, you know, with some of those great... A lot of those great Italian foods, the Italians have, um, you know, have got PDO regulate, uh, you know, legislation and PGI legislation. So it's very specific about the ages, you know, which you know, that cheese has to be matured for a minimum. Mm. Like, I think it might be 12 months or 18 months, I can't remember. Um before it can be sold, you know, commercial parmesan, and it's graded and assessed, and then it's anything that won't age well is then discarded, and then it's aged on for the different, taken on for these different periods. So it's interesting, he's, they were selling it at 24 months for quite practical reasons, I think, in that it allowed a, that's probably the most widely available. Yes. 36 would It's be what people expect, space. I guess, as well yes. as that sort of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was fascinating, because Elliot and I, from, Elliot from Hammond yes. and I did a, I bought some parmesan to try alongside his, and we tried them. And sort of, you know, he didn't know what they were. Um, really interesting how different they were. Mm. So, um, and so even the same. So even it wasn't just the age. Of course, we know, you know, time is part of something, but it's never the whole. Thing no, and food. I think you want to kind of. I think the for me, the perfect parmesan is one that also retains its moisture. So it's yeah. it's crumbly to texture between finger and thumb, yeah. but actually in the mouth, it almost yes. you get that almost release yeah. of beautiful. Lina stores are selling some nice parmesan. Okay, you know. Um, so I, I spoke to Andy and he, he tells a story about uh, trying uh, a parmesan that was 100 years old. He said it was absolutely disgusting. Yeah. But I think what's really interesting yeah. about that and the point that he made is that it still has the nutritional value yeah. of a 24-month parmesan. So it, we're talking in terms of yeah. time there, we're talking yeah. preservation of food, you know, yes. and in a way that's perhaps where a lot of these, you know, the cured meats, the cheeses... Yeah. You know all sorts well, of different things. Yes. It comes from yeah, needing effect. to preserve. A, a well, that's one of the things in the book. That one of the themes is you know we we fight the effects of time on food because mm. time causes food to decay and go off. And yes. we, that's you know our rich, you know our fantastic charcuterie, our cheese making tradition. These were ways you know very practical, basic needs of how do you preserve a perishable food like milk? Yes, you turn it. In. It's almost about um, and the process of preservation often involves getting rid of moisture. You know because mm. moisture you know bacteria, which we don't want thrive. So salt, you know, salt is such a key part of any preserving, yes. of many preserving Drying, salting, drying, you know, getting rid of moisture. But it's interesting, that's the idea that you're fighting time, but actually yeah. what you're doing is just trying to trying to ride it. It's almost a kind yes. of a... Yes, and then you use it you in know, a different way. So yeah. Which is exactly how complex, you know, when you start thinking about time and food, it's just yeah. really complex because I think it's just so weighted. Yes. You know, they say, yeah, they're different types of time, you know. So yeah. Like, you know, the detrimental effect of time on your raw ingredients, which is, you know... And that, I mean, fermenting is very interesting with mm. time. So, just because obviously we're talking about time, I think what really struck me is it felt a little bit like one of those, like a paperclip moment. Before someone invented the paperclip, nobody could think of it. And then somebody had this moment where they invented this thing that now everybody, well, less so because it's all digital, but I think the analogy stands, <laughs> that, that everybody uses it, it's yeah. everywhere, and you, yeah. you can't not notice it, yeah. but, but nobody thought of it before. It's such yeah. a simple thing. Yeah. And, and it's hidden in... In clear time, right but there. And, yes. and time is yeah. in yeah. food and drink is is everywhere. Yeah. And and yeah. actually, once you kind of, it's almost like you have to reset your perspective slightly. And the moment you you sort of shift yes. the lens, yeah, nice. you can't not see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, and that's you, incredible. That's exactly what's happened to me. It's not everything I do. Yeah, to. right. It's, it's, so how do you write the next book? I mean, how do you? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> it's funny. And I sort of think you know this was a 
you know, it's very, it's hard to have an original idea in the world of, of food writing. Sure. You know, because it's where I will cover it. So I'm still enjoying the fact that this is my book and it only came out in March. And yes. I'm, and it's had a lot of, you know, it's caught people's imagination, I think. Yeah. You know, by its fantastic reviews, it's people are interested in it, and it's very relevant. Um, so, yeah. So well, I think it will retain its relevance. I'm just going to try and dig out my my pad here just to talk to you about the very the very end of the book yeah because it it's something that really struck me actually yeah that was the thing how do you end it so if you don't yes. mind I'm gonna just yes, read from sure. it um, so the last sort of sentiment it is sobering to think that in an age of microwaves and ready meals even the simple act of taking the time and trouble to cook a meal from raw ingredients has become an important way of sustaining a food culture passed down to us over the centuries and it was interesting to me because the book is a celebration and, mm. and an interrogation of time. And that final sentiment, are you... It feels like you're worried. It I feels am. like you're worried yes. about the future of that yeah. food culture and, and yeah. the way we approach food and drink. Well, you know, funny enough, when I became a food writer, which you know, is in here for 25 years ago, it, in, and when I grew up, you know, my mum and dad, you know, they both worked and they mm. cooked. And it wasn't, and it's now called cooking from scratch, you know, which always sort of slightly makes me laugh. I'm like, it's called cooking. You cooking, know, because, sure. But, you know, but of course, you know, someone, you know, I suppose the idea is now with the microwave, that is cooking, but it's not, you know, because heating something up is not cooking. And I'm just really aware that people are losing those, um, those basic food skills, which had been so, you know, because until, with the, with the invention of the microwave and the ready meal and processed food that is processed that's ready to eat, that means that, they, that those skills that we had for centuries um, are we don't need it. And when we don't need something, we sort of lose them. You know, do you, do you think there's a revival though? Do you think? I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of very aware that I my my daily life is very food and drink centric. The people I know are yeah, food and drink centric. Am I living in a bubble? Is it a bigger problem than I'm a aware bit of? of? A bubble. Because I think you know, it's, and it's not. Um, you know, there are a lot of middle-class people, and I mean, this is like mums at school would say to me, oh, you're a food writer. Oh, do you cook from scratch every night? And I'd say, and, in, and sort of not in an interesting way, and they're sort of like, blimey, do you do that chore? And I'm like, yeah. And yeah. they're like, oh, I couldn't do that. And then, oh, no, oh, I don't like cooking. Or, you know, and you just sort of think, and of course they don't have to, because, you know, you have options now if you yeah. don't like cooking. So I just think, and you can see it in the loss of food shop. And there's always schizophrenia. I think the food scene in Britain is very schizophrenic because yes, there is a burgeoning, and you know, here we are in Borough Market with stalls around us, but a lot of visitors actually. You know, yes, a yeah, lot, yeah. lot of people who aren't Londoners. Yeah, this is now a tourist attraction. But you know, but regardless of that, there is uh, there are people making a living from from selling food, which is fantastic, mm. and um, and making food and selling it. And there's interesting food. And when I go, and I'm always encouraged when I go to food markets on a Saturday, a lot of people shopping in them are young. Mm. But I equally know that there are a lot of people who, you know, whose knowledge of food and whose care is, you know, they're not that interested. It's, you know, it's I think fuel. You can take for granted. Yeah, it's fuel. Mm. It's, it's seen as a chore. I mean, I think that's the idea, mm. you know, like I find cooking relaxing. I know that's not the case. And I do say to people who don't like, I say, but, you know, the more you do it, Simple, yes. It's like it was a million years like yeah. time, and you know, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't go on a course. I just taught my. I was a hungry student, and I wanted to eat something that was that tasted decent, not something under a hot lamp. <laughs> horrible food. Yeah, right. Eat. So I just got bought cookbooks and yeah. started cooking. Made you know a zillion mistakes and did yeah. not know. But but then of course over time I've learned now how to cook, and that that took years. But I was quite happy to invest that. Mm. I mean, my son knows how to cook. So I'm sort of hoping that. But I just think there are a lot of pressures. What really struck me, and when I wrote the book, I didn't want it to be a polemic. I didn't set out to write a polemic about let's make time for food. I literally wanted to explore how time is used because, as I said to you, in a way, it's about the right amount of time. Many things are about speed. You know, people, when you hear time, people always think more time, but it's not just that. It's, it's you know, the right don't time. overcook fish, you know, stir fry, speed, you know, mm. freshness. That's, you know, that's not about, that's about, you know, the, how quickly you can get something. So lots of different talks time. But what I realise is there's such there's such a lot of pressure to regard food and cooking as a chore. And I was really struck by those cookbooks with their fifteen minute meals, their dinner and twenty minutes, you know. Mm. And it's sort of like, you know, why are we begrudging? You know, the act of eating sustains our lives, you know, if we don't eat yeah. and drink, we're gonna die. And it's and it's not and so that's so that fundamental level it matters. And then there's of course you know, this massive cultural 
pleasure of hospitality, the connection mm. that we give, you know, that fundamental trust where if I, you know, if you cook me a meal and I ate it, we'd be, we'd be trusting each other. Yes, you know? right. And that's already and that's an ancient thing. thing. Ancient thing. Yeah. Every culture is yeah. ce- it's celebrations involve a feast mm-hmm. for a really fundamental reason. So, so if we just make everything, you know, about convenience and speed and oh that's a bore and I don't want to do it, we're just going to lose a lot, you know. And we've, and we've spent hundreds of years creating incredible ways of preserving food yeah. and giving it flavour and cooking traditions and so much knowledge, you know. Yeah. So that's sort of what I wanted to, to think about yes. is that we need to hold on to it and and and, and protect it. Well it, it leaves, so the, 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 what I was left with was this new lens of looking at things a greater appreciation of it because of that but also that kind of well I have to be I have to be mindful of it and 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 sort of share that sentiment so it it leaves you with a question rather than just going time and food's really important isn't food great cheers you know it doesn't do it doesn't just drop you like that it sort of gently pushes you out with that new way of looking at things I think what's interesting so many of my friends have said to me Oh, I'm now thinking about chocolate, and I'm, and or, or I'm now making leaf tea, and mm. you know, and then there's very little things, you know, that you know, it's simple, you know. There's a lot of very practical sort of food and cooking advice in the book. So, is that if you, when you brown your meat, you take time to really brown it, you know, you will taste because you're developing that Maya reaction. You're going to get those flavours. Yeah. And you know, and just sort of yeah, you know, as you said, mindfulness is a good way of putting it. Because it's sort of concentrate on what you're doing and, and thinking about it. And it, yeah, my, you know, I just sort of think. You know, food, obviously, food from, is a great source of pleasure for me. Am I? And I'm really pleased that it's affected like that. That's, yeah. that's music to my ears. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> Listen, Jenny, I think it's Brilliant. been a real pleasure. Thank you so no, much. Let's you. head back to Neil's yard Fantastic. and grab your grab your bits and pieces. Thank you. So that was Jenny Linford. Uh, I think I really enjoyed making that podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to it. Um, by one of her many books but certainly by the one that we discussed in depth which is the missing ingredient um yeah i I, so i feel like this this has been a bit of a culmination of of all the podcasts in a sense and uh the Selman podcast is going to take a bit of a break not very long i promise you because we're going to be coming back with some really exciting news um in a slightly different guise uh but but meeting lots of brilliant producers and sellers and people involved in 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 the great food and drink industry uh so yeah uh, thanks for following so far if you want to know what Selman's up to in the meantime then uh check Selman out on at Selman sam on instagram and twitter or go to selman.co.uk um yeah and listen it's been i've really enjoyed uh, meeting these people and bringing them to you and look forward to doing some more uh we're not talking far off maybe talking a month away so this sounds like a long goodbye but it isn't it's a it's a see you soon uh yeah so cheers thank you